So today we are going to be looking at um, the book of Corinthians. That's where uh, the lesson is going to be uh, coming from. I, I, I had been going through this book in the uh, in the in the in the past year, and um, when I got to this book, I uh, started um, thinking about what the resurrection meant. But um, God, as if God has got a sense of humor, uh, in, in, in uh, August, uh, I then kind of uh, passed away in, in terms of not passing away as such, but went blank for a day, a day and a half. So the message is not coming from my experiences of having uh, basically gone unconscious for a day and a half, but it comes from a period where... Um, before that, I was um, reading about the resurrect, res, res, resurrection and thinking about the res, resurrection and what it means in relation to us being believers as well as in relation to the context in which we live where some people basically look at it as fiction. And you also have Christians who almost want to sideline it and almost... Um, come up with an understanding where they are saying, well, we can love God, but these things that are almost miraculous, maybe we should just put them a little bit on the side. But when we come into, 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 um, um, into, into Christian theology or when we uh, begin to understand the gospel, what we understand is that resurrection is not just, the issue of resurrection is not just a side issue. It is part of what the gospel is all about. And this text that we're going to look at today is one of those texts that's actually telling us that if we do not believe in the resurrection, we are, as it were, not Christians at all. Because it is central to understanding who we are, and it is central to the um, gospel um, that we believe in. So that's the crux of the matter here in terms of the importance of this text. So I'll be reading this text. Maybe um, I will break it into two, and then we'll pray in between there. It's a little bit long, but I hope I'll be able to get there. Is it possible for me to read from the screen? At the top there. Okay, thank you. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel... You are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preach to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. For what I received, I pass on to you as of first importance. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. That he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And that he appeared to Cephas or Peter and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. There Paul is saying some of the people that were in the uh, church in Corinth were still around during Christ's time. They had seen the risen Christ. So that's what he means that most of them were still living, though some have fallen asleep or though some have died. So they were still people. When Paul was writing this, there were still people that had seen the risen Christ, and some of them were in Corinth. Verse 7. 
And then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. And last of all, he appeared to me also, as to one abnormally born. For I am the least of the apostles, and do not even deserve to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by grace, by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, by the grace of God that was with me. Whether then it is I or they, this is what we preach, and this is what you believed. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead, but he did not raise him if, in fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only... For this life we have hope in Christ. We are, all, we are of all people most to be pitied. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in turn, Christ the first fruits, then, when he comes, those who belong to him, then the end will come, when he hands over the kingdom of God the Father, after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be put to death, to be destroyed is death, for he has put everything under his feet. Now, when he says that everything has been put under him, it is clear that this does not include God himself who put everything under Christ. When he has done this, then the Son himself will be made subject to him who put everything under him, so that God may be all in all. Now, if there is no resurrection, what will those do who are baptized for the dead? Oh, that's a biggie there. We are told here some were being baptized for the, for the dead. This is the only verse in all of scripture that talks about people being baptized on behalf of, of the dead. Well, a lot of theologians say here, um, it might have been a practice that was taking, uh, taking place in, in, in Corinth and maybe in other places in the early church, but the practice ended. Nowhere else is, is it uh, later taught that we can continue uh, as it were, uh, baptizing people on behalf of the dead. And it is also a dangerous practice to develop a theology based on one verse. So it is there, Paul says it, we will just uh, leave it as it is. We can't develop a theology. That's why even our denomination has not developed that theology in terms of uh, baptizing people on behalf of the dead. So he then continues, he says, if the dead are not raised at all, why are people baptized for them? And as for us, 
Why do we endanger ourselves every, every hour? I face death every day. Yes, just as surely as I boast about you in Christ Jesus our Lord. If I fought wild beasts in Ephesus with no more than human hopes, what have I gained if the dead are not raised? I will continue from there. Uh, so from the previous verse, if you can just take me back a little bit. Okay, thank you. Paul goes on to say in verse 32, If I fought wild beasts in Ephesus with, with no more than human hopes, what have I gained if the dead are not raised? Let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Come back to your senses as you ought and stop sinning. For there are some who are ignorant of God. I say this to your shame. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? How foolish. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. When you sow, you do not plant the body that will be, but just a seed, perhaps of wheat or of something else. But God gives it a body as he has determined, and to each kind of seed he gives its own body. Not all flesh is the same. People have one kind of flesh, animals have another, birds another, and fish another. There are also heavenly bodies, and there are earthly bodies. But the splendor of the heavenly bodies is one kind, and the splendor of the earthly bodies is another. The sun is one kind of splendor, the moon another, and the stars another. And the star differs from star in splendor. So, will it be with the resurrection of the dead? The body that is sown is perishable. It is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. So it is written, the first man Adam became a living being. The last Adam, a life-giving spirit. The spiritual did not come first, but the natural. And after that, the spiritual. The first man was of the dust of the earth. The second man is of heaven. As was the earthly man, so are those who are of the earth. And as is the heavenly man, so also are those who are of heaven. And just as we have, we have borne the image of the earthly man, so shall we bear the image of the heavenly man. I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and will be changed. For the perishable must clothe, it, clothe itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with imperishable, and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. Thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. 
Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know what your, that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. May the Lord add his blessings to the reading of his word. Well, some people have said, if you find a perfect church, do not go there because you will spoil it. In um, the uh, church that we find in Corinth, we have one of those churches that was uh, far from being uh, perfect. You have various churches during the time of Paul that you see the congregations being uh, praised for their faith, they are praised for um, uh, various aspects with uh, regards to um, how they, they conduct themselves. But when we come to the uh, church that was in, in, in Corinth, it was almost like a, a sore spot for Paul. Because if you read in First uh, Corinthians, what you basically have, you almost have a catalog of problems that were taking place in the church in, 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 in Corinth. So in terms of how uh, this book holds together, what we have is there was a, a household or a family in, in, in Corinth that um, went down to Ephesus where, where, where Paul was by the, uh, at the time that he wrote, um, that he wrote this, uh, this letter. They went to him with a, with a series of problems that were uh, taking place in the, in, the church, in the church in Corinth. So if you go past that book, you see a number of problems that arise. But one of the major problems that they also brought to him had to do with the question of the resurrection. Um, what seems to have happened was there were some people in the, in the church in Corinth who, were, uh, who did not believe in the resurrection. If you look at this text that we have read, um, it, it, it shows two aspects of the problem that they had with the issue of the resurrection. One, the first half of that uh, passage that we have read, it's basically a complete no, there's no resurrection. That was their point of view. These were people who were calling themselves Christians in, um, in, the, in the church within uh, Corinth. They were saying, no, there's no resurrection. And the second problem that they raised in the second half that Paul addresses was, oh, what kind of a body will it be if someone resurrects? So they're saying they could not imagine any other kind of body that could, could come after resurrection. So they were saying, there's no resurrection, and what sort of body do you think it's going to be? So the whole thing about resurrection for these believers that were in Corinth was, there's no resurrection. That was the, uh, the problem that uh, they were raising. What we see as we dig deep, we see that it was a problem that was basically coming from the society that they were living in. The, the society in the time that uh, Paul is writing to the, to the Corinthians was basically dominated by two uh, philosophies, um, Epicureanism and Stoicism. The Epicureans uh, believed that when you die, when you die, you're gone, kaput, that's you, that's the end of you. So when you're living this life, you have to enjoy to the max. That's basically, that was their philosophy. Give the body what it wants, because you only live once. That's basically the, uh, the, the, um, the, the, the Epicurean philosophy. If you read in, um, in the book of Acts, 
you actually come across uh, when uh, Paul is in um, Athens speaking at the Areopagus and when he's given the floor to speak. When he gets to the point where he mentions that uh, Jesus, uh, the resurrection of Christ, the text says in, 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 in Acts, some sneered at him and said, no way, we're not going listen, to listen to you. Because that was the ongoing philosophy, that anything to do with the resurrection, they threw it out. That was, the, that was basically the, uh, the way of understanding. So Epicureans, on the other hand, were saying, enjoy as much as you can with the body. And then on the other hand, the Stoics, the Stoics also uh, believe that when you die, that's the end. But before you die, what you need to perfect are the virtues in you. So for the, for the Stoics, they would deny the body. They would discipline the body. That was how they, they, they thought you would perfect these virtues in, 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 a, in a person. But where they agreed, both philosophies was when you go kaput, when you die, that's the end. There's nothing on the other side. So this form of thinking was the kind of thinking that crept on into, into, into the church. And some believers, as we read in this text, you could see they were coming from this point of view where they didn't, they didn't believe that there was a resurrection after death. And in my doing my, my rounds in Glasgow, working in Glasgow, I've come to an understanding or realization that um, the community or the context that we are living in seem almost to hold a similar philosophy. Because one of the things that people usually tell, tell me, sometimes they come into the taxi and say, where are you going? They say, oh, I'm going out. And they say, oh, you, you only live once, you see? That's how they usually respond. You only live once. That's, that's the, 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 the phrase that I constantly hear. You only live once. And the response to that is almost, because you only live once, you need to indulge yourself or to make sure that you enjoy yourself to the max. So, in other words, you can see that the community that we're living in, because uh, people don't believe in God, therefore there's no also understanding of a resurrection. They're almost gone back to how people also believed in the, in the, in the first century, that the body has to be given what it needs, the body has to enjoy uh, because you only live once, once you, well, once you're gone, you're gone. And I had, um, a, a student from the University of Glasgow, I decided to ask him, so what happens to your body when you die? And then he says to me, when I die, my body will break down and the atoms will basically break down into whatever the next thing that they will uh, break down into. So that's basically the understanding. This was almost a similar understanding of what people in the first century um, uh, believed in. But what we then have here is this thinking getting into, into, into the church. And then Paul says, how can it be that if you are a believer, you can hold that kind of thinking? He says, a believer cannot hold that kind of thinking that life ends at death. And then in the text that we, we read, he highlights a whole lot of issues. Why? So whole, he gives a whole lot of reasons why believers cannot hold on to the very fact, uh, cannot hold on to this idea of thinking that life ends at death. One, he says, Christ himself resurrected. Christ resurrected. That's where he says, 
There are some even among you who are still living, who witnessed, who saw the resurrected Christ. So, he's saying, this is part of the gospel that we preach. We are not just saying, this, this, these are not created stories. This is the reality. Christ rose from the dead. And if you are saying Christ did not rise from the dead, you are also saying God is a liar in the same breath. Because God is the one that brought Christ to life. And at the same time, God is the one who promises us that if we believe in Jesus, there is eternal life. There is life to come. So, Paul is saying here, how can a believer, someone who holds on to saying, I believe in God, I love Christ, how can they turn around and say, there is no resurrection of the body? There is the resurrection of the body. That's argument number one. He also goes on to say, the apostles are witnesses to this resurrection. People like, um, apostles like Peter, he had walked with, with, the risen, with the risen Christ. What about doubting Thomas? Doubting Thomas was one of the early skeptics when it comes to uh, the, the resurrection. When Christ resurrects and he has appeared to the other uh, disciples and he hasn't appeared in the presence of, of Thomas, he says, no, unless I feel and touch that body, that's when I can believe in this resurrection. When he feels uh, the, 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 the holes of the wounds where Christ had been crucified, that's where Paul, uh, that's when uh, basically uh, doubting Thomas believes that, oh, for sure, he's not a ghost, but he is real. So, that was the big issue that they were raising, that there is no resurrection. Paul also goes on to say, it's not only um, the apostles that, that had seen the, uh, the resurrected Christ, it's not only some who were still living even during that time we had seen the resurrected Christ, but also at one point we are told 500 people witnessed the resurrected Christ. So this is not a story, this is not a make-believe story. 500 at one go saw the resurrected Christ. Paul himself also gives another uh, reason why he believes we shouldn't take this um, lightly. He says he is going through all sorts, of, all sorts of problems. If it was not true that Christ is resurrected, why would he fight wild beasts? If it was not true that Christ is resurrected, why would they face the kind of suffering that they were facing? Spreading the gospel. So he's saying that for them was some of the evidence that the people in Corinth had to realize that this is part of the gospel, this is the truth, this is not a make-believe story about resurrection. It is central to understanding. He goes on to say, God himself is the one that has made it, made it possible. But what we see in the people in Corinth, you could see there was an element in which uh, some believers were beginning to undermine, as it were, the, the, the power of God or understanding what God can do. So that's where we go to the second verse where they are questioning what nature of body is this uh, that we will have. Can a body, 
how will it how will it will it rise? How will the new body look like? So you could see there there was that undermining of what God can do. The undermining of God's power does not just lie in um, the way people in Corinth think, but I think in most of Christian history, even among believers, sometimes there is that uh, slightly lack of lack of uh, understanding the the all the attributes or the attributes of God or who God is. Remember, the first Adam was made out of, was made by God. So, even if you were to be cremated, probably some thought of, even in this, in the, in this context, thought of people who die in fire and disappear, and they'll say, hey, how will they come back if the body is, is, basically, is basically gone? Even if you get uh, buried, the body disintegrates. In uh, other places like Africa, people get eaten by lions and the body disappears. So for them, the understanding of, oh, what's going to happen to this kind of bodies is almost a question in the back of the hand. But what you can see there, there's this undermining, this lack of understanding of what God can do. In terms of the power of God, what God can do. The God who says, I know the number of hairs in your, in, 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 on, on your head. The God who has this knowledge, whose knowledge is beyond what we can understand. Do you think he's not able to know your DNA exactly? To have you come back and you have an understanding that it's, it's me. It's not someone else. Because the nature of the resurrection we are promised in Christianity, the coming back, you won't come back as someone else. It will be you, and you will know that it's you. And we will know that it's you. If you can't understand, or if you don't have an understanding that it's you, how can that be good news? If you come up as a different person who doesn't have an understanding that you are who you are, what's, what's good news in that? So Paul is saying, we will be resurrected. The Corinthians will be resurrected. So there is that need of understanding God's power, God's attributes, that God is all-knowing, and if God says he will do it, he will do it for sure. If God says, we will come back to life, we will come back to life. They questioned uh, the issue of what nature of a body. God, who has created the universe, do you think it will be difficult for him to bring you back? I was just looking at the nature of the universe. I was being told that there are billions of uh, planets within a galaxy, and there are billions of galaxies within uh, uh, the universe that we know. The God who has created something this magnificent, do you think it's going to be difficult for him to bring you back? I was also being told that we only know almost only about 5% of the known universe. That's what our best brains know. Only 5% of the known universe. 
And that 5% of the known universe, they're saying they're forces and particles that we do not understand. Remember, God is the one who created that universe that we don't even understand. And how can we then begin to question or in our own thinking think, oh, God cannot bring you, the real you back to life? Are we not undermining the power of God? Do we have a proper understanding of who God is? God is not a sum up or a tally of the best human brains or the best human inventions that are powerful. God is not a sum up of that. He is far beyond than what we can imagine. We cannot comprehend God fully. We are basically his created products. So Paul is saying, we should not underestimate what God can do. God will bring us to life, and God has promised in his word that he will bring us to life. And God does not lie. And God sticks to his word. Do you believe? When you die, you'll come back. In the resurrection, the final call, uh, the resurrection. Some Corinthians thought it was impossible. But scripture tells us that it is part of the good news. It is part of the gospel. It is central to the teaching of Christianity. Paul tells us that if we do not believe in the resurrection of the dead, if we do not believe that Christ was resurrected, if we do not believe that God will resurrect us, then we are better off going out into the world. It is false piety that we, 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 we are holding on to. We are better off in the world and living like the world. There he quotes again, like I was saying, the Epicureans, where he says, it's better for us to go eat and drink for tomorrow we'll die. That was basically Epicurean philosophy. So that's what Paul says. If there's no resurrection, if Christ has not been resurrected, the problem of eternal sin or the problem of sin is still there. Because Christ has not really died on the cross. That's what it basically says. Because the whole thing then becomes a lie. Our sins are not yet forgiven. So you can see that the understanding of the resurrection and what happens at the cross is all interconnected. And we will resurrect because God has given us Jesus Christ as the first fruit. Jesus Christ, the resurrection of Christ, is, as, as Paul says in that text, is the first, is the second Adam. The first Adam died because of sin. And then the second Adam is Christ who conquers sin, who resurrects. And God, in bringing uh, Christ b back to life, basically shows all of those who believe in Christ that this is what is going to happen to you for all those who believe in Christ. And unfortunately also, the resurrection applies to those who do not believe in him. Christian theology does not only end with the resurrection of those who love Christ. There's also a resurrection 
of those who do not. Because that's the nature of it. That we are taught of eternity in this imperishable body, in this eternal body. We are taught there will be eternity. But also, for those who do not know him, we are also taught there is another eternity that you do not want to be part of. But for believers, you can't hold on to saying you love Christ and you say, I don't believe in the resurrection. It is central to what the gospel is all about. God is true to his words. He says, you will resurrect. He says, you will come back to life. It is part of the good news. It gets me excited. Although sometimes I get a little bit frightened when I think about it. That, oh, what would it be like? But at the same time, if God says, it's going to be pleasurable eternity, then that gives me comfort. Because God is true to his word. In Jesus we have the first example. An example that all of us who love Him, all of us who love God, we will be brought back to life. Well, I think I might have gone a little bit over my time, so <laughs> I will leave it. I will leave it there. But all I can say to you, it should comfort you that we will resurrect. The nature of the body, we are told by Scripture, is imperishable. It will live forever. And that's good news. That's part of the gospel. Amen.